Yeah. All right, you're listening to Fanatsu. Um, yeah, it's been a while. Um, you know, it's near the end of the summer now, and uh, we've been gone. Uh, we've come back, <laughs> thankfully. And uh, you know, um, you know, I walked in a little late, but you know, you you can definitely tell that uh, you know there's been some changes, good changes, good life changes. Uh, Nick um, was talking about. Um, applying for teaching jobs and uh, you know just a couple months ago um, your biggest uh, stressor was uh, whether or not you're gonna graduate right yeah. <laughs> and so there's definitely been uh, some some interesting changes but uh, we're all still here we're all still very dedicated to what we're doing and that's what's important but um you know Miguel's uh, he's gonna grab some pizza real quick and I, I wanted to bring up something um, so uh, as you guys might or might not know, me and uh, Jesse, we presented on the same panel in uh, a conference in uh, Strasbourg in France. So um, while we were there, of course, um, we wanted to, uh, we, we imbibed in, in uh, some local spirits. So some Gewürztraminer, uh, it's a regional wine there, and also uh, some, uh, some beer. Uh, Strasbourg particularly is uh, home to uh, what they call the best beer in all of France. So they say, you know, it tastes like beer to me. But anyways, so Miguel, I wanted to bring this up. I wanted to, I wanted to get everyone's um, perspective on this, but uh, me and Jesse have a, a drunk podcast. Oh my god! Oh. Yes. <laughs> I'm not sure what to do with it, um, but I know you know. Obviously, we're we're a grassroots organization, and um, just just hear me out on this. Uh, what if? We release the episode uh, to um, uh, people who who donate to the to the podcast. You know, we go. I mean, I like it, it could be it's exclusive content. Um, and uh, there there's this program called Patreon. Um, you can sign up to be uh, to to donate even a dollar. Uh, you know, but the, the the idea is there is that um, it's exclusive content. I think it's quite entertaining. Uh, there's a, a little bit of <laughs> there's a little bit of a surprise in there. It's something. <laughs> Something drastic happens. Uh, <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I mean, uh, wh- I think, what's your take? I think I think that's a good idea. Yeah. I think I think that we should uh, we should open up a Patreon account and basically then, and I like that if we sort of let's say we do like a a funder drive or a Patreon drive and then it, let's say we get I don't know like 20 in like a, a day or two or something 20 people to sign up for at least a dollar a podcast episode then they can download your <laughs> your enlightening but possibly embarrassing <laughs> illuminating <laughs> uh, drunk podcast and I think I mean could totally become a trend, actually. I mean, yeah. I know there's that drunk history show on Comedy Central every oh, once in a while. Oh, that's true, yeah. And so I think drunk podcasts... I mean, if you when you think about it, traditionally these conversations do happen over some sort of alcoholic, tuba-based, Adwazenti-based, <laughs> or Bud-based beverage. And so... That might be a might be a sort of a good new approach, but hey, I'll, I'll sign up. Nice, awesome. I'll sign up. Jesse, are you opposed to that, man? I am not opposed to it. I <laughs> I thought you didn't put the podcast up because it was a. <laughs> I thought it didn't like meet the standards, but I guess it's better than I thought. <laughs> no. What standards? Oh, yeah, what standard days? 
put standards in the status quo. Yeah, there are no standards to changing for freedom. That's, that's great, man. I'm glad you found it exciting. Where's the podcast? Yeah. <laughs> Saving it for something special. Um, so we could do another one, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, you got some beer. Yeah, cool. Well, it sounds like all the parties are in agreement. Um, <laughs> exclusive content via a Ooh. Patreon account, um, be a be a be a subscriber, be a contributor to uh, to the movement, and uh, in return, uh, you get um, what I think would be a very very entertaining uh, content. <laughs> you know, outside of the, the normal uh, academic realms. You know, so yeah. So I mean. But that that being said, you know, how how's everyone doing today? Mm, alive. Yeah. Oh, don't don't forget to uh, pull the mics up <laughs> oh, to shit. you when you're. I think we can all agree that we're alive. <laughs> Are yeah. we? I, oh man, it's too early for that. It's not mm. 3 a.m. <laughs> je pense donc je suis. I think therefore I am. Eh? Oh, oh is snap! That, is that is that what you were getting? Oh at? man, jeez. Yeah. <laughs> uh, can we do a drunk podcast? <laughs> oh, oh man. Cool. Mm. What about you, Nick? How's it going? Uh, you know, just um, trying to survive, trying to get a job before, trying to get a job before I have to start paying back my scholarships. Uh, you know, so struggling, actually trying to be an adult for once. Mm, yeah. <laughs> the struggle is real. Making memes. Yeah, making memes. <laughs> Yeah, pro bono. And our very own uh, Andrew Mataltel. All right. He he just uh, came back from Ireland, Ireland right? Yeah. Ireland? I came yeah. from I came back from Ireland. Uh, what did you do there? I went to a um a tra- it's called a traditional music conference, a world conference. So uh, it was they have it every two years and um it was it was it was wonderful. I just met so many people from all over the all over the world, and like how music ties into they find anything music, and they go off on tangents to anything. Okay, there was there was this song, so then they tied into to um, uh, activist work. They they tied into scientific uh, work. They tied into basically anything you can think of, like in. Uh, what is it? Safeguarding uh, 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 indigenous knowledge and um, the politics of 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 what criteria those kind of things are, and um, so so yeah. I mean, I, I attended so many presentations and so many so many things that I can. I don't know it's, it's where, where to begin where to begin did you guys get to get in a place of music place of music uh me no but uh there were there were there are a lot there are a lot of uh sorry there are a lot of um uh performances and a lot of hybrid performances you know taking like traditional uh, music and you know um um creating um new uh genres from you know different influences because you know the you know they're trying to uh, expand and and to uh, I guess negotiate uh, these different uh, identities, especially coming from a lot of uh, marginalized uh, people. That and you know even a lot of it was about how do we research these peoples and how do we you know make it as though we're not coming from above. 
you know, and just like extracting information and just leaving, you know, okay, I'm gonna do my research on this and then I'm gonna leave, leave, leave them and that, that's it, you know. So like, there's been a lot of debate and a lot of um, about how about how certain uh, scholars do their do their research and how they go about it. And is it really benefiting the community? Like, what what what's all this research for if you're not really giving back to to the people that that you supposedly represent? And um, that's interesting, man. That um, I guess you know over here we get like the feel for like um, you know, our indigenous chants and stuff like that. And just to think that all the way in Ireland, is that like a bigger area of interest? Like the old Irish language? I, I forget. Oh what it's yes, called. you know, Gaelic. Right? It's I could so, totally like uh, see the the parallels. You know, the it's kind of you know not very uh, small, small, small population like speak uh, uh, Gaelic on a regular basis, and there's four dialects of Gaelic, and um, you know when the British came over, you know they're not supposed to, you know they kind of really. Uh, they oh, didn't outlaw it, you know, you're not supposed to speak, you're not supposed there. to speak Gaelic, you know, English is the way, you know, you want to go, you want to be raised up, you want to go, you want to go to the UK, you want to, yeah, yeah. especially, you know, given like, you know, the, we know the famine, you know, it's just a lot of people, people viewed Ireland as like not a place of, you know, of sustainability, you know, like everyone, they go, they go here and they, they bounce off to like America, they go here, they go to UK, and even just like, even today, you know, like you, Northern Ireland, you know, the politics of Brexit and how like there's no defined border between uh, mm -hmm. Northern Ireland and uh, and the rest of Ireland. So once that gets uh, going, it's going to be really difficult to to really uh, define boundaries and more boundaries, 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 boundaries. So <laughs> it's Northern Ireland is um, independent. Northern Ireland is part of the UK, oh. and they're majority Protestant, and um, they they manage to maintain their 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 ties to the to the to the crown, as opposed to uh, other as opposed opposed to the rest of Ireland. It's uh, it's unique. Because I guess it's it's not one 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 group that came to Ireland. There's a bunch of different tribes over centuries and centuries and centuries, and you can find these tribes of uh, um, lines in Spain and in other parts of Europe. So, uh, so yeah. I mean, there's this one story that that's uh, that uh, really uh, stuck out to me. This woman is Baroness. And she had like twenty wives, uh, 20, 20 husbands. <laughs> twenty like twenty husbands. And when the when the British came over uh, to take over uh, Ireland, she married into into the British uh, royal uh, aristocracy. And when she married this uh, this uh, what do you call it? What do you call it back there? A uh, baroness, a duke, or something. Anyways, married married him, and then once. Once she managed to maintain her land, she had had him killed, along with the rest of like, she's like cycled cycled men in and out, you know. Nice. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the a lot of history. <laughs> a lot of history. Andrew, we'll pause right there. Um, so we have a new face uh, here, or at least as far as I've been gone for a while, but yeah, we're gonna take a quick break. <laughs> Alright, so. Oh, did we say that? Oh, that's okay. That's just uh, that's a that's a little <laughs> taste of what you'll get on the uh, on the exclusive oh, yeah, uh, drop podcast. So. <laughs>
Yeah. <laughs> no. Oh man. But yeah, guys. So. Who do you want to? Just, you, want to you said you, you got a beat scene, right? Yeah. yeah. Sure, I can. Dang. Dang. Yeah. Just so. Yeah, I want to go through uh, our our experiences. Yeah. So. Could you you mind passing down the other mic? Uh, and then. Cool. Can't avoid it, Jesse. <laughs> yeah, Jess. I mean, man. I don't know what I'd do if you weren't there. Like, <laughs> this guy's this guy's street smarts is uh, on, what? It's a it's un it's unparalleled. Wow. His uh, his street smarts. Like, this guy she can read a map. Oh, <laughs> no, I was just looking for places to put these stickers on the wall. Just tell them about when we got stabbed. What? Oh, what? What? That's my favorite story. No. That sounds like no, no. That would be for like a. Cannabis podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, but yeah, dude, this guy can look at um, a map like one time, and then it'll be like, oh, we need to get off here, and you know, we have to buy these tickets. Well, this is where you get to, like, oh my gosh, yeah. Like, I think it's, I maybe it's because I just don't have a problem playing a stupid tourist. Yeah, <laughs> and I'll just walk up to anybody. Hey man, <laughs> yeah. lost. tell me where this is. But yeah, <laughs> but no, it's it was fun, man. Navigating, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, indigenous dude walking through the concrete jungle. Yeah, for sure. Where <laughs> did you go again? Strasbourg? Yeah, we went to Strasbourg and then Paris. And then and Paris. Then, yeah. yeah. Did you, yeah. like, so what, what was the big takeaway for you? I mean, um, at the conference? The conference and yeah. then, um, you know, just being there. I mean, did you have any other revelations while we were there? Um, well, I guess France in general, just how big it was, really, and yeah. how old it was. Mm-hmm. And how big it was. Yeah. <laughs> it was big, man. Buildings, all the buildings are big and old and so big. Yeah. We probably shouldn't you know. <laughs> didn't do that. But um, the conference was pretty great. Um, I guess it gave me heads up to like uh, just how insular Guam is and our, yeah. you know, our uh, particular political situation. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, just because I guess um people weren't as aware as I expected them to be about um the situation over here. And you know, why should I expect them to? Mm-hmm. I, I wasn't familiar with theirs, but um yeah, I just <sighs> Oh yeah. Well, I mean it wasn't the conference itself wasn't what I was I was expecting, you know, like New Zealand sorry. New Zealand Studies Association conference. Um and then I found out that for the past like eight years all of their conferences have been in Europe. And uh not to mention that um the majority of, of uh people there were either uh European or actually what am I talking about? They're all European <laughs> all the time. But they were they were uh, they yeah. were Pakea, you know, um they're either uh settlers from New Zealand or or they were um you know Europeans living in Europe, you know, who yeah. uh, just happened to be studying uh, New Zealand or you besides know, us, I think it was just like three other there was, there was brown only a few there. other indigenous people there. Right. Yeah. So I mean it really it wasn't what I was expecting. And then also the fact that uh, here and I'm pretty sure in other parts of the Pacific like we look to New Zealand as uh, one of the epicenters for like Pacific knowledge right mm-hmm. and it seems like we know so much about about them and what they're producing and um, you would you would imagine that 
perhaps they might know uh, a few things about <laughs> us, but that that certainly wasn't the case. Yeah, they're they're yeah. surprised to hear what we had to say, and and they were excited also too. You know, yes, yes, to definitely. learn that I don't know what it is. What is it about Guam that you know? Hmm. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, the the sense that I got was like. Um, we're not even in their their consciousness, even uh, as far as like a like a global security. You know, whenever uh, they talk, whenever whenever they hear about North Korea um, starting up something again in the news, like um, we're not even in their consciousness. Um, and little do they know that there's um, uh, a forced military presence here that is uh, a key element in in American, um, you know global interest yeah. and a military might. It was odd. So. I'm, I'm wondering now, though, if it maybe just was isolated to that group. Mm. I'm wondering. Yeah. That could be. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. I was, it, yeah. I was like the, like oh, the, the only brown person from Oceania too in the study yeah. group. Yeah. <laughs> I felt like I, felt, oh, I was I was like the only brown person from Okay, well, yeah, from yeah, in Oce- from Oceania and the Oceania study group, and like, it's just a very very small group, and it's very for this vast, you know, Oceania. Yeah. You know? And um, many times I felt like I was like an, under a microscope, mm-hmm. and then like they always like like to point out. Oh, I like to point out that we have an indigenous Pacific oh, Islander God. here. They did that to you. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Oh, man. <laughs> oh my god, it's like oh. <laughs> oh my gosh. And then so yeah, it's just like very generic, very like, you know, like and then just like we need more Pacifics. We know we we need more indigenous people here. And man, we man, we gotta call more Pacific Islanders here. That would be really good. And just like sitting on here like oh gosh, just like <laughs> Don't ask me to sing. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so uh, definitely felt the the what's the word I'm looking for? Separation <laughs> from Separation. the from the ground towards the the wherever they're wherever they're doing the work. Yeah. <laughs> so, wow. <laughs> That's so crazy, so, man. Yeah, just people to just. Micronesia is so big and so vast. I mean, like it's they're so diverse, and like to, to like, to encapsulate it with one person mm-hmm. as the leading person for for um, for uh, music in in Micronesia is like yeah. I think it's very like, uh, yeah. So I I felt the what you guys were feeling definitely. <laughs> Yeah. But it's but no, but it's not down. Oh, the best for Oceania. But if you go around, like I met this guy from Singapore, and like we really connected. Um, he's a. Uh, it, it was very interesting because I I I would I would uh I told him uh he just Maasi in one of my messages, and then like he did a uh, he did a connection between uh Maasi and how they say thank you and and mercy is also how they say thank you in a uh, in a uh, Malay. And I was talking to him about how they were. Uh, how they go to school and how whatever um, uh, ethnicity you are, you have to go to school in your mother tongue. 
you have to go to a certain class in your mother tongue. So for him, it was Malay, so we had to go to set aside aside time to to be taught in in his mother tongue. So there's mother tongue classes in Singapore, and um, you have to take an English exam and a mother tongue class to 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 move on outside of secondary school. Mm. So it's very encouraging there, and. Um, Interesting. Yeah, there, there, there are other brown people too, just not from Washington. That's interesting. And when I think of the word um, Masi, like, um, I mean, the Bako's here, so you can um, break it down for us, but like, yeah, I, I either see the, the, the parallel between our word Masi and then Makasi in, uh, in Malay. Yes, that's but the, then, that, that's, I believe that's the... But then also, like, what if it's just a, a chamorization of mercy, like, you know, it's not? Oh, thank God. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, because most likely it comes from uh, asii. Hmm. Ma'asii means to be forgiven. And so then you can see then how there would be a connection then between, you know, being merciful and then being forgiven. And so, but yeah, it's it's pretty cool the way that you can see sort of the, the Austronesian connections. Mm-hmm. Thanks for saying that. I really thought it was. It it's okay. I mean, I know I could totally lie to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I could I could be that I could yeah. be that guy that says you know the the name Luhan is really a Chamorro word. Isn't it? It is. It's but it's a false. It's a false cognate. Though. Oh, it's so not. because there is the Chamorro word Luhan. Right, but then the Chamorro last name Luhan doesn't come from Luhan, like the which is. But it's funny though because then Chamorros have because Luhan means afraid or scared, but then Chamorros have the last name Maatnyao, which means scared or afraid. I thought Luhan means kind of like crazy or wild like that. No. What kind of what kind of relatives of mine do you know? <laughs> <laughs> like the like the Baragada Capilis or something like that? <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, 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 no. But well, no. It de- like it really depends it. on how you how you use it. Because if like usually it could mean like you're spooked. Okay. Like you're kind of like yeah, scared, panicked, or something like that. Wow, man, I, f- I feel bad for you guys that went to like places where. You were the token islanders. <laughs> you poor things, you. When I was um, when I was when I was in Chicago um, a couple years back, where right, I competed in Brave New Voices, and it's an international poetry slam. But I kind of feel like that's a little bit of a lie. Like international, like they had one team from South Africa, then they had Guam, then they had like one team from the UK, and then like. 45 teams from the United States so it's like quote unquote international but um like a lot of people like this one person came up and like hugged me and I was like I don't even know you but okay whatever she hugged me and she was like oh you smell so good like what the freak like I don't like we don't shower and then right and then someone was like you guys speak really good English and it's like unfortunately yeah, but thanks. And so it's you know, it's kind of like a thing, like everywhere you go, it's like you're always going to be the token brown person, I feel. It's like because you're such an exotic thing. Like growing up, I didn't think 
that we were exotic. I was like, oh, you know, those other people are so exotic. But then, like, well, once you get off the island, it's like, holy shit, you're like this, like, magical fucking being that nobody's ever heard of before. <laughs> so it's like, you kind of gotta, like, it's like you're almost famous, like, you gotta deal with that wherever you go. Like, if you go to, like, events and stuff, and they know that you're not from there, they're like, oh my gosh, do you have magic powers? Or like, some shit like that. <laughs> it's weird too, feeling like the minority for the first time. Right. <laughs> Going to a new place, you know, we come from an island. Oh. You know, on that note too, I mean, you know, we have a new face here, uh, Julia or Julie? Julia. Julia, um, I think you could definitely uh, speak to that. I mean, um, uh, you, when you introduce yourself, you, see, you mentioned that you're going to school in Diablo Valley, right? In California. In California, and I can imagine that in in you know in the Bay Area, there's a lot of Chamorros, right? Uh, yeah, there's but, actually mm-hmm. um, a lot in Vallejo and Oakland. Um, there are a good number, but um, still, like, um, it can be hard to connect and everything. Um, in terms of what uh, she was saying earlier about like being kind of exotic or whatever, that's definitely a thing I've experienced. I started a Pacific Islanders club at my school, and um, it's been really hard to galvanize in part because the Pacific Islander population there is like something less than one or two percent. Um, the majority of them are Polynesians there for football. Um, so um, I don't think academics is really what their priority is, according to actually my friend who's a Polynesian uh-huh. who joined the club. But um, yeah, a lot of people are not necessarily sensitive, I think, to Pacific Islanders, um, mostly because it is a small minority in the grand scheme of the ethnic backgrounds that are in the U.S., but also because I think just like the education they receive about the islands is limited. Most people there assume I'm Filipino or they think that the Pacific Islanders Club is analogous to the Filipino Club, and, you know, it's an all-encompassing club um, for of the three different island regions that most people don't realize there are three different mm, island regions. Yeah. So um, it's frustrating, definitely, especially, I think, um, when you go out there for the first time and you experience it, because sometimes they might even think you're Mexican. Yeah. Um, but uh, eventually you get used to it and... Um, you will sometimes find people that are very knowledgeable, but for the majority, I think it's about educating and mm-hmm. um, just making sure your friends and whoever's around you are informed. Oh, yeah. yeah. Really cool. Oh, man. I have, I've also been looking at... Um, oh, yeah. Here you go. Oh, I was just going to say that, you know. Well, uh, we haven't met, but... Um, so I used to live in, in California, like, for, like five years of my life and um for a long time i've like detested the idea of ever going back but just recently i've I've opened up my prospects for uh doctoral programs uh in what do you know california again so like uh i don't know the diaspora you know like it's it's a really interesting dynamic out there and um i don't know i just wanted to throw that in there yeah the i don't know for me it's uh the, the issue of the Chamorro diaspora, I mean, all, all cultures deal with diaspora, especially nowadays. I mean, and there's a few examples where the diaspora is different, but in most cases, people assume that those who are far away from the homeland are less cultured, are less conscious, are more 
colonized or something like that. I mean, one of the one of the few examples that I found for is that the Okinawan diaspora is the opposite. So, for example, Okinawans that live in in South America tend to speak their language and tend to kind of have the cultural dance. They tend to because you know they're Japanese-looking people that live in in South America. And they speak Spanish, but they kept their culture and their and their language because they kept their community alive there because they were so different than the majority population. But the Chamorro diaspora, most people see it like the way you you usually see the diaspora. But <clears throat> I don't know. I always like to remind people that that for every because for every Chamorro that sort of comes from Nebraska to Guam that acts like a jackass, I can show you three Chamorros that live on Guam that are jackasses. <laughs> now the one from Nebraska may he may talk like like he's a southern gentleman or something like that, and the three from Guam may have chaudy ass accents, but that doesn't necessarily mean that sort of you gain a greater consciousness just because you're closer to the homeland. And in fact, it's it's fascinating when you think about it because just because you're far away from the homeland, all that usually means is that you have less regular exposure. So you pick up less slang, for example, or maybe you pick up less Catholic songs, or you kind of just pick up less Guam jokes or something like that. You don't have as thick of an accent. You talk like sort of people wherever you live. But that doesn't mean that you're more critical just because you live on Guam, right? Because you can, I mean, you think, you, you can look at sort of Chamorros that live in Texas and how they celebrate Liberation Day out there is like, you know, fucking coconuts, man. <laughs> it's like, oh my goodness, what the fuck are all the Chamorros on Guam doing celebrating, celebrating Liberation Day in the exact same way? Like, and the people out there, they might have an excuse that they haven't been exposed to critical conversations. Maybe they don't know who Angel Santos is. Maybe they think Angel Santos is a Mexican soap star or something like that. And they don't think of Angel Santos as sort of a decolonization activist. But the people here don't have that excuse. You know, they have been around it. It's been floating around there. And so that's why I always think... um, one thing that we've seen like since Festpack and so on is that the diaspora is organizing itself in certain ways. Um, and even when I was out in the States for graduate school, we had like the first ever uh, Chamorro decolonization conferences in the States. We organized them three years in a row. And a lot of the people that attended that later then returned to Guam and then became part of We Are Guam. And so it was part of like a it was, it was this group called Famuk Saidzin, which was made up of all these Chamorros that were lived in the States or were in the school for the, in the States for school, and were all wanting to connect to home. And so we created a, like a progressive and a critical space for it. And the second conference that we had, there was 200 people there in the Bay Area. It was pretty good. Um, and so we always have to remember that, is that everyone, everyone has sort of just because, and this is something that I always take issue with, is I always say like, oh, people in the diaspora have identity conflicts or crises, they're searching for their roots. It's like, I wish more people on Guam would search for their roots. Like the thing is, just because you, just because you live, just because you lived with your Nana doesn't mean that you actually knew who your Nana was, you know? Just be, like think, so there's all these ways that simple proximity 
doesn't mean transfer of knowledge, doesn't mean transfer of spirituality. Like it just means so you kind of you're you're here. What do you do with that though? Mm-hmm. So what I don't like a lot about the sort of the diaspora conversations is that people will put down the diaspora in a certain way, but they do that to then lift themselves up. Like I'm so smart because I can recognize that Poasunai, my cousins from my cousins from California are so Poasu compared to me. Mm-hmm. And so, but anyways, it's just so if you do go to California, you know the Chamorro community out there has organized itself in certain ways. I mean, a lot of it is social or religious. Like when I was out there, there was quite a few golf tournaments. Um, a lot of Liberation Day stuff, and then you would have some village fiesta groups that were out there. So, like in San Diego, there was the PD fiesta group that was very hardcore. <laughs> so hardcore that every year somebody aggressively and loudly left the group because somebody was trying to control the table too much. That's how authentic that was. <laughs> <laughs> and so, but yeah, and the thing is that the. The diaspora can be powerful in terms of decolonization conversations, right? Mm. Because if we think about it, the usual trajectory that people take in terms of coming to consciousness is that you have to leave the home. You have to go out and you have to experience something else. Now, it's not always like that. You can experience those things at home too. But oftentimes you have to go somewhere and be able to see yourself. Like you look at somebody like Carlos Taitano, the speaker of the Guam legislature who was part of the walkout and the only Chamorro present when the Organic Act was signed. What started his critical consciousness was when he went to Hawaii to live with relatives. And then he looked around and like the Navy wasn't ordering around Chamorro, uh, Hawaiians. Like the, the white people there weren't telling all the brown people what to do and how to dress and how to live their lives. And he was like, wait, you mean we don't have to live the way we live on Guam? VJ Berdalia was the same thing when he was in San Francisco. He was amazed because he saw that like like a person who was black or brown didn't have to like bow their head and like not look at a white person in the eye. Whereas on Guam, like when a when a Navy guy comes, you gotta kinda shrink away like that. But that that in the States, even this was at a time of segregation, the early 20th century, like a, a black or a brown person could stand tall and be treated with respect. And so that's, uh, that's one of the things that we have to remember too, is that the diaspora can be a place where we can have a lot of critical mass because you know, you have people that want to connect and if you help them to connect in a more progressive or critical way, can be very powerful. Mm. By the way, um, oh, your dog's all wet. <laughs> oh man, there's Lalo. Oh. But uh, Nick, I just want you. I want to I want you to keep that in mind, though. That that's going on a meme. Um, Bavakwa in uh, one of those like black and white, like him off to the side, and then in cursive lettering, it's gonna say, um, "Just because you live with your nana doesn't mean you know who your nana is." Ooh. I want that on a meme. <laughs> So, I mean, 
Julia, yeah, like in um in Diablo Valley, do you do you find uh do you have spaces where you can talk about things like uh, like decolonization? I mean, I know this has just been something that that's come up in in um, in public consciousness uh, recently in the past few months. But I mean, I'm sure you guys keep up with uh, what's going on over here. And um, do you do you find um, an audience, or do you find people to bounce these ideas off of? Uh, um, there. Because I uh, at DVC, um, we don't really have a huge population that has that comes from a background where decolonization was an issue or is currently an issue, um, except for the islanders that go there and some other Asian groups um, and African groups. But um, in terms of being able to bounce off ideas of decolonization, um, not necessarily. I haven't been able to find really an audience or people who could relate. Um, I did model United Nations, and one of their committees under the General, General Assembly is decolonization, which is what got me into it in high school. But the way they do it out in the mainland isn't necessarily centralized around decolonization, nor do they often make it a topic, um, just because I think that it's just not usually a topic. But, um, you know, even in like a forum that's supposed to facilitate um, these issues like decolonization, which is what the United Nations, um, when it was being formed, that was one of their biggest um, priorities. Um, nowadays, um, even in a forum such as like a mock forum, there's a lot of young people who have no idea what it is. They don't know how it affects the world. I've met a lot of very educated and smart people from both Maori United Nations and just in general that have no idea what Guam is, what decolonization is. And in some cases, they don't really care. Yeah. But a lot of times, I also find a lot of people who really do care, you know, or would care about the issue if they hadn't known more about it. But a lot just can't conceive that. I guess such a thing could be happening. Um, but I think it would be pretty, I think you could galvanize though, like um, an audience or like a movement to advocate for independence because there are a lot of groups that are really into this kind of, these kinds of issues. Mm. Um, out there though, the indigenous issues usually relate to Native Americans, but um, other Pacific peoples to mm. like they would want to be cognizant of. Oh yeah, <laughs> Jess, did you pick up on um, what our audience was, uh, what what their perception of um, the term post-colonial and their whole conceptuali conceptualization of uh, colonization was um, at the end of our forum? I, I didn't really, but um, I guess after our presentations, they got the impression that. Um, <laughs> We should just use the word colonial, right? Right, not post-colonial. <laughs> yeah. So that's weird. I mean, like wherever you go, I guess, um, like there, there's going to be different uh, conceptualizations of, of um, you know, what colonization is, um, and if it's even a thing. Is it like, I can't imagine that, like in in the United States or in the continental U.S., uh, like colonization or the matter of decolonization is even um people that is even is even a thing that people are uh, like um you know commonly 
associated with, you know, a term that they're associated with. So, um, but I mean, like, at the end of our forum, I, I, I had to ask the, the, uh, the people from New Zealand, you know, like, um, if you if you uh, define post-colonial if if you define like New Zealand as a post-colonial space where just because uh, it's not it's not technically a colony like it's in a post-colonial space like where would you where would you put Guam in in that in that framework you know because uh, we even in even the term like neo-colonial um, we don't necessarily fit in there so I had to ask them you know like where do we where do you see Guam and um, they're they were quite frank in that uh, they were like uh, you shouldn't you you can't necessarily use those terms Guam is still very much a colony from what you guys describe and you know so it's really interesting yeah oh uh, you can go or how do we it's, I mean, it's it's good that it's getting easier to convince people that Guam is a colony. It's it's good because, I mean, um, yeah, post-colonial, neo-colonial. For a while, people were trying to use neo-colonial, and then some Chamorro scholars in the past have tried to use post-colonial, but it doesn't quite fit because one of the things that defines post-coloniality is when you. It's not just like after colonization, but it's also after that, but then also when you have achieved sovereignty again, and you are trying to then sort of navigate this new national identity. So if you think about like um, Indian Indian sort of uh, literature, like post-colonial literature, Caribbean post-colonial literature, a lot of it is like... Um, it, it really is focusing on like, well, what happens to us next? Like, how do we define ourselves now in the new moment that we've entered? And the neo-colonial, I mean, neo-colonial can be a part of that, right? Because oftentimes that's when you're talking about like third world countries that are still trapped in a type of colonial relationship. But you have to be careful because you could say, for example, that like the CNMI is in a neo-colonial relationship. You could say that the Palau, FSM, these are neo-colonial relationships. Um, depending on how you define it, you could say that like most African countries are in neo-colonial relationships. Um, depending on if you wanted to say that basically they achieved a post-colonial state, but then were immediately entangled in an economic international system that continued to subjugate them with like a, a, an egregious amount of debt and sort of strict limitations and then requirements that they open up their economies and their resources to sort of outside interests. And so there's you know all of that discussion though and it's it's good that you were and it's good that you kind of pushed that issue because for guam like we really represent something that the world wants to forget and so that's why when you talk about it with people people respond in really stupid ways you know it's like it's like um it's like when, when you talk to people about it and they don't want to get it, it's like dealing with like an all lives matter person. It's so irritating because it's kind of like, yeah, we're a colony. Well, are you like being like whipped and like killed every day? Uh, no. Well, then you're not. It's not a colony, huh? Okay. Like what? What PhD did you get at Oxford for that? Like nugget of knowledge. Oh my goodness. It's like it's really. 
it's really, really stupid trying to like deal with that. But it's just because people don't want to open those doors up again, right? You want to pretend it's all in the past. It doesn't matter. And for some countries, it makes sense. The United States doesn't want to acknowledge it's a colon it's a colonizer. It never has. But just in general, people want to pretend that that era is over, because then. You don't have to deal with reparations for slavery. You don't get to deal with sort of reparations or decolonization for Native Americans or for indigenous people in the Pacific, in Africa, in Latin America. If you pretend that all of that is over, you can just kind of look forward and sort of keep all the indigenous people in their little boxes, on their reservations, in their special autonomous zones. So then when we come out and say, hey, colonialism is still here, people are like, shut the fuck up. Don't, because and for me, one of the one of the reasons why this is in, this is important is because this is can be infectious. Like I went to Okinawa over the summer, and I've been going to Okinawa every year for six years now. And every time I do, there are more people who talk about Okinawa's relationship to Japan as being colonial. The first time I went there, no one talked like that. No one ever said anything like that. And then, when I presented at a conference, people were like, "Decolonization? What is that? That sounds so strange. That's weird." But but aren't you? You know, and, and people would say, you, "But your relationship to the U.S. is like our relationship to Japan. That's not colonial." And then now, there have been groups that have really pushed for this. And then part of it, it's there's all these things. There's the bases there, protests against the bases. There's increased cultural awareness. There's efforts to save their language, which is which is different than Japanese. And then part of that is then trying to find solutions for the bases, deal with Japanese discrimination. And in the past, it used to be just give us more money, but now. In one survey, 20% of Okinawans said that they wouldn't mind having a different political status to the Japanese. And so a lot of that came to the Okinawans starting to think of themselves not as Japanese, not as bad Japanese, because that's what they used to be called, bad Japanese, Japanese that don't speak good Japanese, Japanese that, that look, like, look like Moana people. And so part of it was, like uh, the governor of Okinawa last year, he freaked out the Japanese government when he dared to say in the at the United Nations that the Okinawans are an indigenous people. Because Japan has long denied, it has tried to deny any separate existence to the Ainu in the north and the Okinawans in the south. And so when the, the governor of the island came out protesting about the, the base at Hinoko and saying that that Okinawans are an indigenous people who may be in need of self-determination, the Japanese government was like, oh shit, don't say that. And so that's why our, our talking about this can be infectious because there's all these places in the world where, uh, where people got screwed over and then people just printed maps where they are inside of somebody, you know, a country. And, and the more that you talk about stuff like this, the more they might feel like, you know what? We did get screwed over. We should have a chance to redraw the maps in our favor. Like Ireland <laughs> or Scotland, Catalonia, Okinawa, Hawaii, Native American reservations. Like, so that's why the, uh, the conversation that we bring to the world is very important because because so much of the powers that be would rather 
shut it up, pretend it doesn't exist. Say you're not a colony, you are a dependency. You're not a colony, you are a protectorate. What the fuck is that? <laughs> Sounds like a really bad Donnie Yen movie. The protectorate. <laughs> so, yeah, as you were speaking about Okinawa, like little nuggets of uh, my own experience there. Um, Sort of came to the surface, uh, and these were moments where where I I became uh, uh, cognizant of um, uh, a gap between uh, the Japanese and uh, Okinawans, and one of those was um, when I was in uh, Mihama, American. There you go, uh, American village in Okinawa, um, and a, a Japanese dude in a floral or in a Hawaiian print shirt. He's like, "Can you take my picture?" And then I was like, or he first he 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 spoke to me in Japanese. He's like, and asked me, I guess, if I could take his picture. And then he repeated it in English. It's like, "Oh, sorry, I thought you were Okinawan." And I was like, "What? Like, what the hell? Like, yeah." Yeah, that's and that's also, my secret my secret fun game in Okinawa <laughs> is find the chamorros. Nice. Because like Okinawans basically look like um, Shinoharas, Sakibaras, Sakai. So because uh, basically like you go around and you'll look at a guy and be like, oh my goodness, that looks like Jesus Leon Guerrero's outside child. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's outrageous from Alesso. <laughs> or it looks like someone's grandma. Like, yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh man, that's so. It's interesting how how the powers that be will like try and. Um, erase us out of existence you know like even in, in the present day so oh yeah I don't, I don't know if any of you are so speaking in terms of this I don't know if any of you have plans in October mm-hmm. but so we're thinking about independent Guan is thinking about having a trip to New York to testify at the United Nations what? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. and so might need a couple car washes <laughs> but um because so you may I'll have seen I'll sell my it. weaving. I'll start. I'll there start weaving go. right now. Yeah, yeah. Fifty dollars. Ever since James Bomba left that. island, there's a void in the market. You should take that place. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Guy gets a little. He's in. He's in Rhoda. Oh, he comes back like every other weekend though. So I like, wow. No, Rhoda's a different world. <laughs> <laughs> it's on the other it side is, of the his, universe. <laughs> his pictures are like I'm so jealous all the time. Like he eats so freaking good and like he adventures in the Holland <laughs> and like he just like has like such a great life there. I'm so jealous. Like oh, damn it, James. <laughs> oh, but the oh, and so. You may have seen in the news that uh, Governor Calvo sent a letter to the United Nations because what we're trying to do is we're trying to get them to send a visiting mission to Guam next year. And so Guam hasn't had a UN visiting mission since 79. And they sent one at that time because there was the Constitutional Convention and because there was the vote to approve the Constitution or not. And so we're, tr- we, we're trying to argue that because of the Davis case, because of the buildup, <coughs> because of threats to the Chamorro Land Trust, um, threats to the environment, um, the UN should come to Guam and then see what's going on. Um, but in order to do that, we have to have a show of force. Because every year in October, anybody can go to the United Nations and testify. On, beha- on about one of the 17 colonies left in the world. Anybody can. But usually from most of the colonies, nobody goes. Um, but so 
if we can go and have a large enough group and testify and say, you know, we need, we're, this is the situation, we need the international community to help us, the U.S. is not living up to its international obligation, we may be able to get somewhere. Um, this October? This October, yes. <laughs> and so it would be like the first week of October, but... And so we're hoping to get people like that also live in the states that could get there more easily to to come and testify, because Western Sahara usually has about a hundred people testify about it, and they take up like an entire day. But Guam, the largest Guam has ever had is maybe like eight people, and so our goal is to get more than ten this time, and then also while we're there meet with country delegations and sort of meet with different activist groups and so on. But so keep keep that in mind. We're hoping if the governor goes, then we're hoping to send like a, a large enough delegation of civil society groups to uh, road trip. Say no. anything on that? No, I was just like matching jackets. <laughs> 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 Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, be like, we're gonna go in like a, you know, oh, squad, we're like, we yeah, we should, we should go out and like, get like, uh, like fast pack delegates. To, oh my yeah. god. By Jess. Like, we should get like, uh, someone to sponsor us, one of the, the local clothing shops to sponsor us. Not crowns. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say that. <laughs> clothing now. Not crowns, please. Sorry. Sorry, not sorry. But yeah. <laughs> we should, that'd be so dope. We roll up there and like, freaking matching clothes. Like, <laughs> What are the dates? We're here for business. Yeah, man. Don't underestimate island people. But let's not go on island, island land. Yeah, that, that's big news. Yeah, New York in October. Intense. Yes. Another family trip, though? We'll oh, podcast. <laughs> we will podcast from New York. Financial on the road. Yeah. Oh my god. Just start a series for Natural on the Road. Oh man! Well, let's get those Patreon uh, subscribers yeah. in. <laughs> on the that'll be then. that'll be a goal for this month is to set up the a Patreon, Patreon account, account and all that stuff. You know, but that's not to say that will be using your money to fund um, our uh, our escapades. You know, like these. This is glug, they, glug. the money would be for a good cause. <laughs> Seriously, but, <laughs> but yeah, no, like. I mean, we can use it to make shirts and then give back to them. Yes, yes, totally. Help keep that reciprocity. Reciprocity, that's what's up. But yeah, that, that's intense. Like that would be huge news that we can get, like, um, especially people from the diaspora, uh, Julia. Um, you know, hundreds, hundreds of supporters. You know, like. Maybe I'm being a little too ambitious, but yeah, it could, it could happen. It could happen. And you'll basically get. Um, three to five minutes to, to talk to symbolically the world mm -hmm. because when the fourth committee is gathers basically there's somebody from every country in the world there and so it's kind of funny because in the past the United States would do like douchey things like when the when when people would go to testify about Guam they would leave the room because mm -hmm. in, in UN parlance that's how you protest something is that when it's being discussed and you don't agree with it, you guys leave. So that's why, like, when North Korea doesn't like something that's going on or Iran doesn't like something that's going on, your delegation gets up and you 
very obviously leave the room <laughs> so that everyone can see you go. You don't go like, hey, dispense, I'm going to go to the bathroom. <laughs> You're like, we there. are getting up. Like, we are walking like Slender Man out the window. <laughs> What's that? We'll, we'll push our chairs back. Oh, yeah, there. <laughs> and then someone will blow a kulu. And we'll oh all get up. Oh, too much. Walk out. Too much. Nick, you and that kulu, man. <laughs> hey, that's yeah. I've been practicing. Too, I'm still baking. I've been practicing that. my kulu. Hey, someone's got to subdue, right? <laughs> yeah, we have to someone have like a... Two people in, indig- in indigenous wear. Someone has to. Two, <laughs> one girl, one guy has to go out. But maybe not the the net one that shows all the body. Okay, we'll get some uh-huh. Rapa Nui men and oh, women to oh. to testify for us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's an... yeah, I remember the that was reading that was the count of uh, Julie Nuggin and there's uh, one of his excerpts about you know them not paying attention you know at all. It's uh, um. So yeah, that's. That'll be look good on my resume if I want to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're speaking the truth. No, but uh, I think oh, that's cool. more you're than ever before. You know, I I I was reading a Facebook post like, oh, like why is like like there's like uh, I wasn't here for for the 21st, but like they're they're questioning why you know um, there was it wasn't a really a the turnout wasn't as as. As, as uh, big as before. At the parade? Or? Yeah, at ah. the parade. So there's like, from our side and from other side, from all sides, people mm-hmm. just talking, you know. It's just, uh, I don't know who put that flag up there. Who, who There was that flag, uh, a huge oh, yeah. Guam flag of... Oh, that's and right. And then, um, uh, what is it, the Filipino independence, United States independence, and mm-hmm. then there's a question mark yeah, for, yeah. for Guam. So there's definitely, people are begging the question a lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, so... Yeah, do you, do you, are they affiliated with anyone that, that you know? Group, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, there, there's a yeah, group. Man. I don't know their name, but yeah, I saw that on... That's so. really cool. I'm, I don't know who they are, but I'm down with it. Yeah, I can dig it. Maybe next liberation we'll have our own float and, like, freaking <laughs> do our own, like... Resistance. Just make sure you get protected more. Yeah, no, I mean, like, it, it seems like it's an organic thing. Like, mm-hmm. um, it's... Uh, this is the pushback from uh, uh, um, just centuries of uh, oppression, you know. Like, it's like even if people aren't aren't necessarily necessarily hip to like independence or decolonization, mm-hmm. yeah. like they're at least fed up with um, you know the current situation, um, whatever it be, whether it be like wage inequality or um, lack of uh, federal reimbursement for things that they've uh, promised previously. Man, um, it, yeah, right yeah. Like, I could turn on Igla 63 every morning and you can hear yeah. some uh, baby boomer tomorrow, <laughs> you know, pouring out their heart. And it's like the other day they, they had to cut off the, yeah. you know, the very passionate speeches, you know, of these, of our elders. Mm. So I, I really, every day, like you hear the word that they're, they're talking about it all the time. Wow. And then you you have um, my Lucan relatives who are like, boy, I don't know about that independence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're radicals. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At the at the fiesta party, you know, like, oh, Andrew's here. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, crazy. We just we always got to remember that the group Nashan tomorrow was started from all of the crazies and all the families. Mm-hmm. So it was all of the people where where basically the family was like, oh shit, there's Angel. Oh man, 
Yep, or, yep, oh, yep. shit, there's Ed, Ed Benevente. <laughs> oh, no, there's my cousin Ed. Oh, no, he's going to talk about decolonization or something like that. Quick, 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 we're talking, we're talking. <laughs> and so, in a way, that's, that's how it starts. Sort of the different people who have the questions, you come together and you create some sort of power, some sort of permanence, some resonance. And it has been really, yeah, it's been really nice to see the changes because if people are, because the, the worst thing that you would ever want is for people to not say anything. Because sort of a sign of ineffectiveness is basically when no one is talking about you. If they are talking about you and complaining about you, because people call into like K57 every other day to complain about how independence, how the media coverage of decolonization is so biased towards independence, and it's kind of like, wow. And the reason is because people want to learn about the other things, but independence is the only thing that's getting out there. And so that type of criticism is basically like, we're doing a good job. In a way, we're doing a good job because with, with just a bunch of volunteers who sort of have strong beliefs, we are getting messages out there, we are slowly changing minds, and we're moving the sort of the, the ground of common sense, right? Right, so if you think about the time of our parents, you didn't question Liberation Day. Like now, you can question Liberation Day. People, so you might get trolled on Twitter or something like that, <laughs> as some people at this table did. You know, you might get people who kind of look at you strange or call you disrespectful, but you'll also get a lot of people that will listen to you. They may not agree with everything, but that's the changing of the common sense, was that common sense was over here, where you shut up and you wave the flag, eat your spam, and we move over here, and it's kind of like, yeah, maybe we should think about this. And then we just got to keep moving it. And that's how, that's, you know, that's how societies change, is that when everybody is ready to ask those questions and not like tell each other to shut up and love America or... So, yeah, we got to wait until there's far less of those people who say that, yeah, your criticism of Liberation Day is only because of the Marines who saved you, or, or you only have the right to say that because of America's First Amendment or something like that. We have to minimize those people. But, yeah, this Liberation Day felt very different. Like, and I think it's going to keep changing as sort of... We, as people on Guam, like look, we look at our place in the world, we look at our relationship with the United States, and then we kind of basically think maybe we could do something different. And then we make that connection, like why are we, what are we celebrating? Hmm. Very cool. I think, you guys have anything? Um, we're at an hour, and that's typically our, our uh, marker. <laughs> But, you know, these conversations could go on forever. Um, I think that's a pretty good place to, to leave it, though. Um, you guys decide for yourselves. Well, I'm assuming that if you're listening to this, you're either uh, part of the NSA or um, you are uh, an independent supporter already. So I'm sure you've had these, these thoughts as well. You know, reach out to us uh, via the, uh, the Facebook page. Um, we now have a Twitter account, right, Station? Is that what's going on? Yes. Um, any updates on, on that side of the... Of the uh, um, what do you call it? Social media mission. Oh. Oh, okay. 
so we're gonna try to um, come up with more com uh, consistent content but like we have some tweets here and there we what well, we definitely post like if we have upcoming events like like the the next um not a lot of concert or if we have any coffee shop convos where we can casually talk about independence decolonization and all of that good stuff um and even if people have any questions on twitter you know i know a lot of nowadays that's like people's preferred method of you know it's 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 an, a not intimidating way of um, reaching out so if anyone has any questions you can slide into our dms <laughs> <laughs> and hit us up um and what else oh and our twitter is so it's lowercase independent underscore gu and that's in capital g capital u so yeah if you guys are interested check that out and we hope to be updating more frequently nice yeah. awesome uh, Julia, anything going on? Um, I mean, I, I know you know this is our first time uh, meeting, uh, but as far as uh, the groups that you're associated with or things that you're doing, is there anything that that uh, our listeners should be aware of? Or um, not right now, no. I think it was just great meeting you all, and definitely excited to be here and to help in any way I can. Awesome, cool. All right, guys. I think that's it. Um, we have the uh, the next general assembly um, for August, right? It's it's supposed to be on the thirty first. Okay. But it might there might be a shift. Um, there might be a shift, but anyways. Oh, the next thing, the next coming up will be on the as I as I look at my phone <laughs> because I'm a modern individual. <laughs> And my phone has my DNA bled into it. Okay, 17th. The next event will be the 17th, the teach-in. Okay. And it will focus on the mitt. And if you don't, and that's not Mitt Romney. It's not like a catching mitt or anything like that. The mitt deals with the fact that it's kind of, with all the discussion about all the military buildups, military training and stuff like that, the mitt is a key part of that. That our value to the United States is not just that we're close to Asia, but it's that... Because we are a colony, the U.S. can perform training around us with sort of impunity. They can do all sorts of things that they can't do um, back in the States and they can't do in foreign countries. And so the MIT basically deals with Guam and the Marianas and parts of Micronesia as a training area. What does it stand for? Marius, Marianas Islands testing and training, I think. I could I could totally be messing that up. So this is something similar to it, right? Mm -hmm. And again, no one would know. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, I advise, I will, as long as it's not lit around me. Yeah, it's yeah, so, so crazy. Please, please, please come out. It'll be an interesting discussion. Mm. Awesome. August 17, teaching. What time? 6 p.m. 6 p.m. Here mm. in UOG. HSS building. Nice. Somewhere in here. Somewhere. Find knocking all the doors. Just look for Stacia. <laughs> <laughs> Stacia right. will have flags. She'll <laughs> have bomb flags. She'll be sending people to 106. <laughs> awesome. Good stuff, guys. Thanks for listening. As always, take care.